You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, we continue our journey through John's Gospel with John 13, 21 through 38, as we look at the reality checks that Jesus provides in this section of Scripture. Let's listen in. Thank you, Jonathan. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know that he watches me. I hope you know that. He's watching you, not to see what you do and how you mess up, but he's watching you to grow your faith and uh, to make you more like his son, Jesus. I was surprised to see Marshall and Becky Curlin coming in this morning. Marshall and Becky, always good to have you back at home. Even Louise right there next to you. Good to have you back at home, too. Can you all see the face of this gorilla? Can you see that? It has an expression like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? I found out that this is Cliff Pilcher's lovey. It's on loan for the week of Bible school. Is that right? (laughs) Got to have it back. I've got to say it's well preserved. It's as old as you are, isn't it? Well, we're going to be talking about reality checks. And that expression might come in handy today. A reality check is a statement or an action that makes someone consider the true reality of life or of a circumstance, the true reality. You know there are more than one realities. There's a a reality that we create, a false reality, a perceived reality, what we perceive to be true. When you look at a, a photograph on the front of a magazine, you see that image, and if you were to see that same person in the morning, on a regular day, those two realities probably wouldn't match. Maybe the reality of even you when you're standing in front of the mirror primping, you know, you're looking and you're thinking you look so fine, but the reality may not be exactly what you have in your mind, if we're honest. But then there is the reality that is real. I mean, it's true reality. And sometimes we need reality checks. A reality check is not an easy thing to hear sometimes. Sometimes they're painful. I had a meeting with a retirement advisor a few years ago. And I did not like what that man told me. But he gave me a reality check of what I had perceived and how I would be floating all around the world and But the reality was not that way. Maybe you have been ignoring a health problem. And then you go in to see the doctor, and the doctor gives you a reality check. You know, here's your condition. This is what's real. Maybe ignoring a a problem in your family. And then trouble brings to the surface what reality is, what that uh, problem really is all about. Or I think about Jason and Maggie. They got married yesterday, 
and they are about to get a reality check. The honeymoon will be over at the end of this week. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that every time you read God's Word, every time, it's a reality check. Because it brings to the surface truth. And whatever you believe about the Bible, I mean, you can accept it or not, but it doesn't change the reality of it and what's behind it and who's behind it. It doesn't change that at all. So every time you hear a sermon, every time you hear a Sunday school lesson, every time you read your Bible as a private devotion, you are being challenged with reality. And so, my desire is every time that I preach, every time I read it for myself, is that I see God for who He is, and I see myself for who I am. And thanks be to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ that bridges the gap between who I am and who God is. That's what this is all about. Do you know that? Do you read it that way or do you just see it as a book of rules to follow? No, this is a book that leads you to life. Not only eternal life, but full life here in this world. So my prayer is today that God would help us to see reality. And I, I want to point out three reality checks here in this passage. John 13, 21 through the rest of the chapter. As you know, we're at the point in, in Jesus' life that this event happened on the Thursday evening. And so he is just hours before being betrayed and being turned over to be crucified, just hours before. And he has already washed the feet of the disciples, and they are there. And, and Jesus predicts what's going to happen. He brings up the reality of the situation. In verse 21, he says, After this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. Now, the first reality check I want to mention to you is that check that he gave to Judas. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And you know what I notice about that first is that the disciples stared at one another, wondering who it would be. And that tells me, first of all, that they knew in their heart that each one of them had the potential to betray Jesus. Because the other Gospels tell us that one by one they said, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? So they knew they had the potential to betray Jesus. Matthew tells us that Judas, instead of saying, Is it I, Lord? said, Surely, not I, Rabbi. See, all the other disciples called Jesus Lord, but only Judas called him Rabbi because he didn't know him as Lord. Judas was a false disciple, a false believer. For over three years, Judas had faked being a disciple. But the astonishing thing about that is the other disciples didn't know it. 
Because there's no indication of suspicion on the part of Judas. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't all point to Judas at the same time. They didn't know. So he had played his part well for over three years, faking being a follower of Jesus. Now get the picture in your mind. Here are the disciples. They're around the, the table, probably a U-shaped table, but it's low. And in that culture, they would lean on the left elbow with their feet extending away from the table. And John was next to Jesus on his right. And so Peter was a little farther away. And it says, Peter motioned to this disciple, talking about John, and said, ask him which one he means. So I see Peter over here. He's motioning to John. Ask him which one it is. Just like you and I would do. Because we'd want to know. And that's what Peter did to John. And John leaned back because he's leaning on his left elbow and he asked Jesus, which one is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then here's the reality check for Judas. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. So here is Judas, who has said, Lord, or Rabbi, surely not I, in a deliberate act of hypocrisy. Because at that point, he already had the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was betraying his rabbi. And Jesus said, the one I give the piece of bread to. And in that culture, that was a way of honoring someone. And because he gave it, handed it to Judas, means most likely that Judas was on Jesus' left, which was the seat of honor in that culture. So not only offering a morsel of the food was a way of honoring someone, but to have them seated on the left of the host who would be in the middle was a way of honoring someone. So here is Judas for three years faking being a disciple of Jesus. Do you think he fooled Jesus? Absolutely not. Yet Jesus is holding out to him a morsel of food, a way of honoring him. He's having him sit on the left a place of honor. And so to the very end, Jesus is holding out hope that Judas would believe and turn to him in faith. But he didn't. He didn't accept him. He took the morsel, he ate it, and as soon as he did, text says that Satan entered him. He had already been influenced by Satan, but Satan entered him. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, that just stuck out to me that here Judas has been living a lie, a false discipleship for three years, yet J Jesus never did say anything about it to anyone else. He didn't mention it to the disciples, evidently. So Jesus didn't even kick Judas out at this point. It says he went out. Judas went out on his own accord. That's like I said last week, that there are people in hell who are there because they want to be there. 
that they have chosen to be there. Jesus didn't kick Judas out of the meal. He went out, and it was night. It was night because of the time of day, but that's not all. It's, it's significant spiritually because Judas left the presence of the light of the world, and he went out into the darkness, and anything, anything apart from the presence of Christ is darkness. It's night. So Jesus gave Judas a reality check. Are you in or are you out? Well, Judas chose to be out. Well, there's another reality check, and that's one that he gave to Peter. Peter asked, Lord, why can I, fo I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is in verse 37. And then the reality check to Peter came, verse 38. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Seriously? Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So Peter had this idea of, in his own mind, of his own making, that he was more devoted to Jesus than he really was. And Jesus knew the difference, of course. Will you really lay down your life for me? See, that's a reality check for Peter. Now, the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter, his betrayal of Jesus, his denial of Jesus was unintentional. He didn't intend to betray Jesus like Judas did. Judas did it just cold-blooded betrayal. But Peter did it out of human weakness. But then the difference is also in how they responded to the reality check that Jesus gave them. Judas decided to continue following his own will. Peter, on the other hand, surrendered. He realized, now the scriptures tell us that both of them, Judas and Peter, were remorseful for what they did. But Peter repented. Judas did not. And so Judas would spend eternity in the night, in darkness. Peter, on the other hand, would go on and he would do great service for the Lord Jesus and his church. So there's the reality check of Judas, and then the reality check of Peter. But then there's a, a third reality check I want to mention, and that is to all of the disciples and to us. Although there are parts of Judas's and Peter's that apply to us as well, but this one really applies to us. Look in verse 34. After Judas left, Jesus had all of the true disciples with him there. And then he was able to really get down to serious business about teaching them. And over the next couple of chapters, that's what Jesus is doing. He is teaching his true disciples about not only his purpose, but about his church. And he's talking about he's going to be glorified. God's going to glorify himself in his life, in his death. And then uh, he's talking about he will be leaving them. He's going to the Father. And Jesus said, 
and verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is some new teaching that Jesus had, is giving them, a new command. But notice what Peter said in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? He totally missed what he was saying about loving one another. And he's going back up to where Jesus was talking about leaving them. So he missed the truth of, of what Jesus was telling them in 34 and 35. But the reality is that whatever you think church is all about, if it doesn't involve loving one another, then you need to make some adjustments. And it doesn't matter what you think is important. If it is not leading you to love one another, you need to adjust. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. If you are a disciple of Christ, as these were true disciples of Christ, then whatever you do in his church ought to be about loving other people. And it begins here. Love one another. Love one another. Now think about Jesus and Judas. All that time, Judas was a false disciple, and Jesus loved him. What does that tell us about people who come inside of this church? Do we have to agree with everybody that comes in here? No. But we do have to love them because that's the command. Now, this is not a new command because this is as old as the commandments themselves. In Leviticus, we're told to love others. How? As you love yourself. So the new part of this is how we are to love. As I have loved you. So it's no longer love one another as you love yourself, but we love one another as Jesus has loved us. And see, some people say, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. Well, the New Testament law is, is more difficult. He's not asking for a percentage of you. He's asking for all of you. He's not asking you to just love people like you love yourself. Love people as I have loved you, unconditionally, forgivingly, in mercy, and in grace. And you do not have to agree with people to love them in that way. Jesus loved Judas till the very end until he just would not turn from his own way. So the reality check for us is whatever we bring into our church experience, if love is not the result of what we do, then we need to change what we do so that we are loving one another. And see, when we love one another, then it goes outward. And it, it goes to people who are not in the fellowship. And for what purpose? So that they would be brought into the fellowship. By this, your love, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. So the, the number one way that people know that you are a follower of Christ is your love for other people. 
I serve on an advisory committee for the BCM. And we had a meeting uh, this week. And in that meeting, I heard the testimony of one uh, recent graduate. And uh, he grew up with not much of a church background. And when he did go to church, maybe a few times a year with his family, um, it was just surface, you know, just superficial, just attending church because you were expected to or maybe you, you wanted to. But he just didn't have the background of Christian parents. And so he got involved in the BCM here at GSW. And he said they knew his background. And uh, the more he came, and initially he started coming because of the free meals they offered. But as he was there with all those other students, he heard the Word of God preached and taught in small groups and in big groups. And he got more and more involved in it. And he became a Christian. He was not a Christian in the church that he grew up in. He was not a believer. He was like Judas was. He was just a superficial, going through the motions kind of thing. But he heard the Word. And I asked him, I said, what was it that tipped the scales to belief for you? He said, no doubt about it. It was the way they accepted me as I was. They loved me. They, they knew me, and yet they loved me. And shouldn't that be the way it is with us? That people are drawn to Christ because not only the way we love one another, but the way we love people who come exploring what is this all about? And see, we have it all written down for us. And we are to learn this, and we are to do this. It's not about what we know, it's about what we do. And all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, it's about God's love for mankind and how He has redeemed mankind through Jesus Christ. And that's what we promote, the redemption of man is not rules, it's a relationship. And so as you have heard the Word of God this morning, have you received a reality check? Are you superficial in your Christianity? Will you allow God's Word to adjust your reality? Because if you don't accept this, how else will God cross you? By His Holy Spirit, yes. And by other people, yes. But yes, by His Word. Who's not trying to crush your life. He's trying to bring you into His life. But we can't bring our reality into His reality. Because they don't match. He is not of this world. We are. And so would you hear the Word of God this morning that He loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you. Like Mr. Ellison said this morning in our Sunday School devotion, He is the only way. And no matter what we make a reality to be about heaven and how to get there, 
it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the way. So would you be confronted with that reality? And if the Lord's Holy Spirit is speaking with you, please respond. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and uh, help us to see it for more than just rules and regulations. Help us to accept it for the truth that it is, that it brings us into right relationship with you through your Son, Jesus, the living Word. So Lord, I pray for those who may be here today that you would speak to our hearts. We all need to adjust our realities. I certainly do. So Lord, we yield to you today that you would have your way with us through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If this message served as a reality check for you, we would love to help you sort through that. You can find our contact information on our website at fpcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.